Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. So the surprise ending to the Tom Swazi mozzie Pillip race, it wasn't that close. And it didn't have to be, if you think about it. If Republicans had only realized that George Santos was to lying what Pat Mahomes is to quarterbacking, they wouldn't have had a congressman expel during his term, and this special election wouldn't have happened at all. And in this Queens and Nassau County district, where Republicans have been trending since 2020, the polls that showed it neck and neck did not turn out to be right, as Democrat Tom Swasey defeated Republican Mozzie Pillip by about eight points. So who voted how within the district? What do we learn about all of Long Island and perhaps all of suburban, suburban swing district America from this outcome? And what can't we learn because of this district's particularities and those of these candidates and maybe even the effects of yesterday's snow? Here's the lesson Swasey wants us to take away. But the people of Long Island and Queens are sick and tired of the political bickering. They've had it. They want us to come together and solve problems. So now we have to carry the message of this campaign to the United States Congress and across our entire country. And in defeat, Mozzie Pillip. We are the fighters. Yes, we lost, but it doesn't mean we're going to end here. And with us now, WNYC senior political correspondent Bridget Bergen and Newsday columnist and editorial board member Randy Marshall. Hi, Bridget. And Randy, nice to have you. Welcome to WNYC. Hey, Brian. Hi there. Randy, why do you think Swazi won and why by eight points? Was it really that people in the district wanted a moderate, as he suggested in that clip, and saw him as it? I think that this district knew Swazi. Um, let's not forget that Swazi was a known name, a known quantity. They knew what they were getting. They may not have even liked everything they were getting, but they knew what they were getting. And I think after Santos, um, that appealed to people. I also think that Swazi's moderate message um, and sort of leaning into issues like border security, which became a big one this during the campaign, really did help Swazi to get his message across. And even whether Republican, Democrat, what have you, that moderate message probably appealed in the end. We'll talk about immigration. We'll talk about Trump. We'll talk about race and ethnicity. (laughs) But Bridget, what would you add to why Swazi won and why by this margin? Well, I think, you know, the other way to ask that question would also be, you know, why did Pillip lose? Um, And, you know, to, to Randy's point, while Tom Swazi was a real name brand across this district, Mozzie Pillip is a new political newcomer. She's in her second term in the Nassau County Legislature, and she really did not campaign across the district in the same way that Swazi did. You know, if you were covering this campaign, you would have thought this was the first time Swazi ran for office. He was doing events all the time. He was going to local civic organizations. He was holding regular press conferences. He would sit down with anybody. And, you know, on the other side of that, you had the Pillip campaign that did these very, you know, tightly choreographed events. They 
rarely let her go out onto the campaign trail without having almost like a handler with her, someone from uh, the Nassau County GOP joining her on the stump. Um, And she spoke really very little throughout the campaign. And given that we were coming, you know, from the George Santos saga, there was something I think voters, you know, had a sense of that they really wanted to know who they were voting for. They needed to get to know this candidate, even if she would have been the person maybe they were more inclined to support. But they, the party didn't give voters a chance to do that. Listeners, you be the political analyst, especially if you live in the Queens and Nassau district. And we've talked many times about what this district is. Northeast Queens, Bayside, Little Neck, Douglaston around there, and the north shore of Nassau County and some areas further to the south in Nassau County, um, North Massapequa, Levittown, a few others. So if you live in the district, first priority, but anyone may call, you be the political analyst. Why did Tom Swazi beat Mozzie Pillip? And what does it mean nationally for November or any questions for our guests, WNYC's Bridget Bergen and Newsday's Randy Marshall? 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Call or text Randy, were there any exit polls in this race from Newsday or anyone else indicating what people's top issues were? So there were, as far as I know, there were no exit polls specifically, which is unfortunate. But uh, we were just saying uh, over the course of the vote yesterday how we wish that there were some exit polls in the mix. But Newsday has done a lot of... Jump in and say, I'm so surprised. I was expecting exit polls because there was such a national focus on this as a bellwether for how swing district Democrats and Republicans might run all year. Uh, so I'm surprised to see that there was there was no exit polling, but I guess nobody wanted to spend the money. I think that's probably true. They were spending a lot of money on commercials and all sorts of other things in this race. Uh, but I will say that despite the fact that there were no exit polls, I think we have a really good sense of what voters were talking about. Newsday did a lot of reporting over the last several months um, and, and especially yesterday in terms of really trying to understand what voters were talking about. Certainly the number one issue was the border and, and border security and also the, the migrant crisis in New York City, which... Republicans have attempted to sort of spill over into the suburbs, even if it doesn't actually spill over to the suburbs. And it certainly does spill over into the Queens portion of the district. Although, interestingly, the Queens portion of the district, which includes, you know, Creedmoor and, and sort of those those types of areas in eastern Queens, where there is a big full- where there is a big um, migrant uh, population, right? Population, put correct. a lot of people at the uh, Creedmoor facility. Go ahead. That, that Queen's population came out in force for Swazi. And oh. one of the ways that we knew early that Swazi was doing perhaps better than we anticipated is because those Queen's numbers were coming out and the, the difference, the margin was far bigger than I think folks anticipated. And then it was uh, in the Zimmerman Santos race. Um, and I do think that that certainly helped Swazi. That Queen's population... You know, uh, Swazi's former colleague, Grace Meng, another congressman in the district, was out there every day for him. I think that actually helped to swing the the um, the race as well. And, you know, on an issue like the border, Swazi leaned into it. He didn't he didn't poo poo it. He didn't say that's not really an issue. He didn't ignore it. He said, A, it's an issue. And B, 
I support that bipartisan border deal and she doesn't. Um, and, you know, if she's not going to support the border deal. How can then she how can she then turn around and say the border's a problem? And he really leaned into that. I think that was very helpful for him, actually, right at the end of the race. And I think that may have played a role in his victory as well. Yeah. Um, do you think, Bridget, that this was about Trump to any degree saying this weekend that he encourages Russia to attack NATO allies and that, uh, you know, um, that people thinking that that was an America first position too far offended by that or Trump in any other way. I see in the news this morning, Trump is out trashing Mozzie Pillip as, quote, foolish for not more clearly aligning herself with him. And Trump blamed a low turnout among the MAGA base. Yeah, I mean, I do think that, you know, unfortunately, both for these candidates, both um, former President Trump and President Biden are not particularly popular in the district. When Biden was in town recently, um, the Swazi camp did not want him coming out to the district to help campaigning. This was just last week. Um, However, I do think that the Trump brand is something that is potentially harmful for Republicans in this district. It's why I think we didn't know whether or not Mozzie Pillip had voted for the president. She was asked by Newsday, by others repeatedly throughout the campaign. And it was not until just this past weekend that she told New York, the New York Post that she had, in fact, you know, voted for him in 2020 and had voted for him proudly. Uh, so there is some damage to that brand and to the the MAGA Republicans in this part of the district. Um, the other piece that I think, you know, we haven't talked about yet that really did help Swazi was this really diverse group of supporters who were on the ground for him, knocking on doors, making phone calls beyond just the campaign itself. You know, there were organizations that came out so you know, explicitly to try and combat some of the messaging that they were hearing coming out of the Republican campaign. And even if they were not, you know, maybe Swazi wouldn't have been the candidate they chose. They really saw this race as something that was existential, that they needed to hold on to it um, as a statement uh, to push back against some of these right-leaning policies and also to, in some ways, defend democracy and someone who wanted to support the elections. Let's take our first caller. This is Jim in Bayside, which is in the district. Jim, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hi. Uh, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. I just had a question about, uh, do you think that uh, if Swazi was benefiting by his support of the bipartisan immigration deal, do you think that that will carry over into the presidential election as far as you know, voters' dissatisfaction with uh, this bipartisan push yeah. as, as the best possible deal right now. Yeah, dissatisfaction with the rejection by Speaker Mike Johnson and by Trump of the bipartisan deal, which would have had some effect, at least at the border, plus aided Israel and Ukraine and and Taiwan. Uh, Bridget, I'll stay with you on this. It's yeah. too early to really know. One of the things that I was wondering is that since the um, border deal from the Senate was so new, it only came out last week, um, you know, was it even around long enough to flip a lot of people's votes? But maybe it was. And what do you think about the national implications? 
you know, I, I was at an event with the Swazi campaign last Sunday, which was the first Sunday of early voting. Um, it was just before the deal had been announced, but it was clear that, that Swazi had been talking to people in Washington because as he was delivering his remarks, you know, he was he had was kind of looking around the room. Had the deal been announced yet? Uh, so I think he had the sense that it was coming. Um, and what it gave him was an opportunity to say, I have been saying and agreeing with you that this is a problem. And now here we have a bipartisan solution, a way to move forward the same way, you know, as he would often say, he would point back to a plan that he had developed with former Congressman Peter King back in 2019, called it the Grand Compromise, another path forward to reforming immigration. You know, ultimately, he tried to say that, you know, in order to solve these problems, you have to work across the aisle. You have to come up with solutions um, where not everybody gets what they want, but we can address this problem. And to just say something is a problem and not offer any sort of policy, policy solution isn't how you govern. It, there's a, the difference between you know identifying the problem and actually coming up with solutions to address it. So I think there is a way for Democrats, and we've already heard it. Um, Governor Kathy Hochul, who you know, as we know, ran against Tom Swazi in the Democratic primary in 2022, was on MSNBC this weekend talking about how the fact that Republicans, you know, tanked this bipartisan deal. And now this becomes an issue. The Democrats can say, look, you know, we have identified the problem. We agree with you that it's a problem. We've come up with a solution. But now you want to prevent it from moving forward because you you're uh, candidate who is likely the front runner for your ticket, Donald Trump, says he opposes it. So, Randy, I'm going to ask you about the most common kind of comment that we're getting in our text messages. I'm going to read one as standing in for the group, but we're getting a lot along these lines. And tell me what you think. One listener writes, pundits are overthinking this race, that it was abortion versus the border. The GOP miscalculated one thing, Never underestimate the racism in Nassau County. An Ethiopian would never win out there. What do you think? Yeah, but I. So this race was not, in my opinion, a bellwether or a sign of things to come or a bigger message than what this particular district at this particular time wanted to say. I do absolutely agree that there is some degree of racism in this district, in parts of this district. I don't know if that played a role, um, but I wouldn't be completely surprised if it did. I do wonder if the choice of Mazi Pillup was, did, you know, ha- to me, the, the choice of Mozzie Pillip was, was a different choice had October 7th not happened. Um, and I don't know that they would have chosen her had October 7th not happened. And I do wonder whether this race would have gone differently or whether the dynamic of the race would have gone differently if, for instance, um, former NYPD officer Mike Ciprocone, who Ciprocone, who uh, was in the mix early on as a choice, had been chosen. Uh, we'll never know, although Mike Ciprocone might be back for more come November. We don't know yet. Um, but I do wonder if that would have been a different dynamic in this race. But I will say this. I don't think this was only about race. Mozzie Pillup had some problems in her campaign and in and in who she was and what she was doing beyond the color of her skin. Um, she 
had a lack of preparation, a lack of knowledge of the issues. Um, we have written a fair amount about our previous endorsements of her in or uh, endorsements regarding her race, which were, where we did not endorse her for the legislature, where she didn't have some basic facts at her fingertips. And it was shown during the debate and at other times that she didn't seem to have the basic facts at her fingertips on a variety of issues. So I would say that while I think race may have played a role, I don't think it was the only issue um, that hurt her as a candidate in this race. She was unprepared. She showed herself to be unprepared on a variety of these issues. To Bridget's point, a lot of times they would have handlers with her, um, you know, surrogates who spoke on her behalf, even at her own press conferences. And I think that may have played more of a role um, than, than anything else in terms of the way people saw her candidacy. But I wouldn't completely discount race as an issue in this, in this campaign either. Let's take another call. Rick in Glencove in the district. You're on WNYC. Hi, Rick. Thank you for calling in. Hi, good morning. Thanks again. I absolutely agree with what she just said. You know, when you when you watch Mozzie Phillip at any of the press conferences or even at the last debate, she just did not come across as prepared. She didn't seem to understand a lot about the issues that we're all thinking about. Uh, she she seemed to be a rubber stamp, and I absolutely agree that if October seventh hadn't have occurred, that they would not have gone with her. She she allowed them to put somebody who was Israeli out front and center. They thought that that was going to be a big issue. It turned out to be less of an issue. But for me as a voter, I think what was most important are are a few things. First of all, the immigration uh, issue, it's not as big of an issue for me as it is for some other voters, because I know that we're trying to get something done. I'm a Democrat trying to get something done. And the fact that Trump would pressure Republicans in Congress and Mozzie Phillip to vote against this bill where Swazi was for it is just unconscionable. We're trying to get things done and they're playing political games. Abortion is a big issue as well. And she's so wishy-washy on the whole abortion issue. She's, she uh, agrees with the woman's right to choose, but she is, uh, you know, pro, uh, uh, she pro, wanted she calls herself pro-life. Right. She calls herself pro-life. And then, and then she was, she was for the, you know, the overturning of Roe. I mean, what is she? Is she one or the other? And so uh, I, I think from that perspective, I think we want somebody who's moderate in Congress. It wouldn't have meant if she had come across like a moderate, that would have been a different story. But she didn't. So that that's what. Uh, Rick, what thank you. Me. Thank you very much. Well, Bridget, I think she was trying to come across as a moderate on abortion by saying she did support the Dobbs decision, turning the abortion rights question back to the states, but that she would not vote for a national abortion ban in Congress because she believes that it's not her place to tell a woman what to do with her body. So maybe she was trying to give too much of a mixed message, although I thought perhaps it was a weakness or, let's say, a, a, a moral failing of the Swazi campaign to emphasize that she was being backed by the conservative party, which does support a national abortion ban, because Pillip made it, <clears throat> made it very clear that she would not support that. And yet, maybe as the caller suggests, that was just all too muddy. Yeah, I think, you know, as we have said, there weren't many opportunities to hear Philip really talk about her positions um, in one of those 
times that we were able to hear from her, that one debate uh, that took place on News 12, the exchange she had between with Swazi over the issue of abortion um, was a muddled position. You know, she she did try to say that, you know, she herself was pro-life as the mother of seven, but would not want to impose her views on another woman or limit their health care choices. But, you know, as we've seen, that that's a very that's that's a very difficult needle to thread when you're in a situation where, you know, does that mean she would break with her party if there was a policy on the floor? She said she opposed a national abortion ban, but do we know that she would be willing to stand up to her party? It's hard to know that um, when you've had so little conversation with a candidate ahead of an election. And more coming in on demographics. One listener writes, oh, please stop playing the racism card. Pillip is unqualified, and that's why she lost. Uh, but someone else writes... Um, as an African who grew up in Nassau County and now lives in Suffolk, I'll tell you that some of the racists out here probably thought she was related to Ilhan Omar. <laughs> so that's all over the place. And then another listener writes a question. Randy, I don't know if we can answer this question, but the question is simply, do we know the demographic breakdown of who voted how? We don't. Um, and more data will come out as as we delve into the results and we see it by election district, we'll be able to delve a little bit into that. This is to the reader's point, to the college point, a very diverse district. Um, we, we've done some analysis, our, our data journalists here have done some analysis looking at this district. It's an incredibly diverse district and Swazi played into that. He went out and shook hands. He The ground game was incredible, not only from his surrogates, but from himself, where, you know, if you've met Swazi on a campaign, he gets to know you, he asks your name, he asks where you're from, and then he remembers it the next time he sees you. That's a really unique quality that he has that he does himself that I think does appeal to voters. And that plays into the diversity of this district and the diverse interests of the district. Um, I, I do think that that certainly played a role here, uh, but we don't know sort of exactly who voted how. We'll be able to learn a little bit more of that as we see the maps and we know by election district how many people voted, where they turned out, where they didn't turn out. But again, I will say that people were going out into the Asian communities, the Jewish communities, the African-American communities of this district and really trying to get out the vote in ways that I honestly haven't seen in the last several years, um, yes. particularly in, in the Nassau part of the district, but also in the Queens part. And I do think that played a role in, in the ultimate Swazi win. We'll continue in a minute with our Bridget Bergen and Randy Marshall from Newsday and more of your calls. Uh, Nina in Woodbury, we see you. You'll be on. Anne in Great Neck, we see you. You'll be on. More to say about the outcome of the Swazi Pillip race and the national implications. Interesting to hear Randy a few minutes ago say maybe the national implications are being overplayed. We'll explore that more. Stay with us, Brian Lehrer on WNYC. They want us to start working together. So our message is very clear. Either get on board or get out of the way. And yeah, the surprise ending in the Tom Swazi Mozzie Pillip congressional race to replace George Santos. 
The surprise ending, it wasn't that close. Swazi won by eight points after the Polish had it neck and neck. And so there was Tom Swazi with a little bit of his reason why. To the victor goes the final soundbite of the segment. So there was Tom Swazi as we're talking about it with Randy Marshall, columnist and editorial board member for Newsday, and our senior political reporter, Bridget Bergen, and let's go right to another call. Nina in Woodbury in the district. You're on WNYC. Hi, Nina. Hi. It's the first time I've ever called. <clears throat> I, I voted for Swazi. I, I have to say I am a Democrat, but I felt that every time that Tillip said something, it was something that I had never heard before. Like all of a sudden, halfway through, she's Jewish. Then she's this. Then she... And she didn't talk about the real important issues. And it just made me feel, you know, that this was another Santos and that the Republicans were trying to pull the wool over our eyes and that we were going to be in big trouble if we voted for her. And the final straw was the signs for Swazi that had been all over disappeared. They were taken away all the time. And I said, oh, the Republicans are up to their old dirty tricks. And that did it for me. Nina, thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Bridget and Randy, hold your thoughts on that call for a second, though. There are a few <laughs> things to chew on there. Let me get Ann and Great Neck in next in the district. Ann, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hi. Um, I've actually called in before. I called in a couple of years ago about a crazy school board election we had. And um, I've been volunteering in the district in local elections since 2018. And this one was absolutely singular. I have never seen so much enthusiasm, so many volunteers. I was on a get-out-the-vote phone banking uh, thing on Monday night, and there were 147 people in that Zoom room, um, most of them from outside the district. I mean, people from California and Texas. It was insane. I've never seen this level of volunteerism. So I tend to think that this might be a truly special election. I, I, I don't know what this says about future elections or even what's going to happen in November nationally. I think he hit on some issues really effectively, I, but I think that this is a, an unusual district. Being that you're involved somewhat with the process, did you get any sense of why people voted more for Swazi? Uh, is it any different than what we've been saying so far? I didn't get a good sense. I was only talking to Democrats, we were trying to nudge to the polls after early voting was over. I did do some door-to-door canvassing in um, Port Washington over the weekend. And, uh, you know, people don't really talk about it. They just tell you if they voted or they're going to vote or if they have a plan or if they have a ride to the polls. I mean, I didn't really get into it with people. I kind of feel like they shut down when you start asking them why they're voting. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, though. Uh, as someone who did canvassing, one of the things that I was wondering about, and I brought it up with Swazi when he sat for his campaign interview here last week, um, was about whether running as, mu- as, as a moderate as much as he was and against the progressive wing of his own party as much as he was, whether that might dampen turnout. Because, you know, yeah, you need swing voters, but you also need turn out from your base. And I was wondering if, you know, he was taking a calculated risk there that might backfire. Uh, But did you get a sense that there were maybe younger or more progressive voters of any age 
in the district who were maybe a little apathetic about Tom Swasey because of how much of a centrist he ran as? I can only talk about my own experience, which is I am a progressive, and I was not enthusiastic about him when he ran in the past. Um, I was very enthusiastic because of what we've been through for the last few years. And I got my 22-year-old son who hates politics and is so far beyond being a progressive that he thinks I'm reactionary. I got him to go. I actually had to drive him, but I got him to go and vote for Swazi on Sunday. I, I, I just don't know. He didn't really talk about what his friends are up to. I think that's a risk, but I don't know how many progressives, how many sort of diehard progressives there are in the district. In who this aren't particular vote for district. Him. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is a strange district. It really and the, is. And thank you. And interesting that you call yourself a progressive, but you're. Kid thinks you're a reactionary, and listeners, we're going to be talking about that later in the show. We're going to do a, a segment specifically on the generational divide in Jewish households over what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now, um, and uh, that's coming up after the 11 o'clock news. Um, Randy, going back to the previous caller, Nina in Woodbury, who had the sense that maybe people didn't trust Pillup because of what happened with Santos. And here again was a candidate who was chosen to be demographically sort of a unicorn, right? Um, George Santos, he was a gay, Jewish, Latino volleyball star. No, he wasn't a volleyball star. And, <laughs> and the, um, you know, and, and that was supposed to be attractive in a particular way. Um, and here was Mozzie Pillip, a Jewish, black, immigrant woman. And so at least that one caller suggests that, oh, Santos was co too good to be true. Maybe, maybe Mozzie Pillip's identity was fake also. Right. So uh, Pillip, Pillip's identity is not fake as far as everybody can tell. And I think she had quite a story to tell. And I do think that's one of the reasons why she was chosen. Her her story is is compelling and interesting and of the moment, especially, as I said before, in light of October 7th and in the wake of October 7th. Um, but I don't think that that was enough because, A, there were some flags in her story. There were issues in terms of, um, you know, she wasn't really a paratrooper. She was a gunsmith. Things of the, the, some of the details um, were murky. But B, to go back to what we've been saying, she just could not define what she knew and why she was running and what she would do if she if she got into Congress. She, and people were just on edge after Santos. And I think they wanted the known quantity. And that for this district was Swazi. You can't get more known in this district than Tom Swazi. Um, for better or for worse, um, to the second caller's point, right, some progressives may not really like Tom Swazi, but they certainly weren't, certainly weren't going to vote for Mozzie Pillip. Um, and with Tom, they knew what they were going to get. And I do think that played a very, very big role here. Bridget, do you have any indication that the Republicans um, overplayed the amount that uh, October 7th um, might have played in this election, choosing Mozzie Pillip to some degree demographically, you know, because of her uh, background living in Israel, being in the Israeli Defense Forces, 
and maybe they overestimated how much that would be a factor? I think that if there had been more daylight between Pillip and Swazi on that particular issue, that it might have been a more persuasive issue for voters. But the challenge for Pillip was that Swazi was not disagreeing with her in terms of how much the U.S. should support Israel. Um, you know, he one of his first acts after he was picked to run in this race was in December. He took a trip to Israel. Um, and one of the few events that they actually appeared at together besides the debate was with the parents of a hostage who was taken on October 7th. And so, you know, this was not something where she could really use it so much as a wedge beyond having, you know, a, a close personal connection to the country and to the issues. So, you know, I think that that became a challenge for them. I think you, you build on top of that. If you don't have her out there telling her story, then it makes it very hard, even though it is a persuasive um, biography, it, she's she was not out there talking to voters and, and really trying to to use it to the extent she could. It was certainly part of every introduction you've ever heard about her. But, you know, beyond that, what was she going to do with that when she was elected? It was very unclear. Here is Barbara, who's not in the district, who's in Manhattan, but says she's a conservative Republican and has a theory about what happened there. Barbara, you're on WNYC. Hi, did I identify you, your, your politics right there? Yes, you did. My name is Barbara. I am a Latina Republican conservative, which in New York is a unicorn. And in my opinion, I agreed with so much of what you had to say today, is I think that they really, they ran a poor candidate. And I think that um, I want to remind you that she's a registered Democrat. She never, she was never a, a Republican. I think that the Republican base was not motivated to to go and and um, and vote for her. And also, I want to remind you that she refused Trump's help with this campaign, so she did not get the support from the MAGA Republicans and the the Nassau GOP uh, specifically. Uh, walked away from any help from the um, the New York Young Republicans, which were willing to help, which Santos would not have won his election without the New York uh, Young Republicans going out there and knocking on doors. Additionally, Queens has been trending right, and th she didn't put any time into, you know, putting her focus there into getting the vote out in Queens. So I, I would say that, um, in my opinion, don't judge... Uh, November elections by this election. This was a very unique and unusual situation. And um, that's all I have to say. Barbara, thank you so much. Please call us again. And yeah, she's right about that part of Queens, which a lot of people may know, may not know, has a MAGA city council member in the last two elections, Vicky Palladino. Um, so trending that way, but um, very interesting observations from Barbara in Manhattan there. Um, and so let's, let's end on a little conversation about how much of a national be bellwether this actually is. The national media has been focusing on this as an early test of how to campaign in suburban swing districts all over the country with control of Congress, of course, very much in play this year. And I wonder how much each of you thinks this is a bellwether for elsewhere and how much Maybe you think it's not. Uh, we heard what Barbara just said about why it may not be. Also, Randy, I know you were 
questioning earlier whether whether this is such a bellwether and and this is a very demographically New York suburb, right? Significantly Jewish, significantly Italian and Catholic, significantly Asian American, about 18%. And this was the so-called Gold Coast, the affluent North Shore of Nassau County for the most part. I read the median household income in the district is around $130,000, very high by national standards. So maybe this is economically and demographically fairly different from the suburbs of Atlanta, the suburbs of Phoenix, the suburbs of Milwaukee, where the presidential election and other congressional races will be fought right from the start. What do you think? Yes, I, I agree. I First of all, to Barbara's point, this is an incredibly different district than what a lot of the other suburban districts across the country look like. I do believe that this was a specific moment in time, a specific set of of candidates, a specific set of circumstances that are not going to be repeated over and over and over again across the country come November. So I, as I said earlier, I don't see this as a real bell, bellwether. Um, and I do think it is a demographically, economically, and otherwise um, very, very particular district where it's just it's not the same as it is elsewhere. And they also have a different set of values, a different set of issues at times. You know, we haven't talked about SALT yet, the state and local tax deduction, but that was a big issue for this district, which is not a, an issue, you know, necessarily elsewhere in the country. Another issue that Swazi was able to really lean into and talk about with authority I just don't really see the model of sorts of this district necessarily replicating itself elsewhere. I do think that candidates can learn a thing or two by being, you know, bipartisan and by seeming moderate in some ways. And I do think that can help. But I don't think you can take this district and replicate it anywhere. And Bridget, I'll promote your article on Gothamist and give you the last word. Uh, Bridget does have an article with uh, our uh, New York State reporter, John Campbell, called What Does Tom Swazi's Big Win in New York 3 Mean for the November Elections? And you've got a list of things that it might mean, things that it might not mean. Uh, so how would you like to wrap this up? So as Randy said, I, I think it is absolutely true. Special elections in, in any election really are, are moments in time. There are a lot of unique characteristics um, about you know the events leading up to them, the voters who are, are turning out. This is what I would say about what we can take away from this from November. Um, you know, we saw Swazi talking about issues that Democrats often shy away from. He talked about immigration. He talked about public safety. As Randy said, he talked about salt taxes, um, you know, rather than just letting rather than being in a responsive position, he he was attacking on some of those issues and pointing to the fact that we have right now um, a House majority that has been able to accomplish very little, even on the things that they point to as the biggest problems, even on the things that, you know, across the board, people say are the biggest problems because there is so much infighting within the party itself they've been able to do very little. The other thing that I think is definitely something that we will see more of across um, races to come is an emphasis on making sure that you don't leave uh, voters, you know, leave voters on the field, so to speak. Uh, the Democrats went out 
and went after every voter in this district. As we talked about, they had a huge ground game, and they also put a huge emphasis on making sure that people participated in early voting and vote by mail, something that, you know, in years past, Republicans have really sowed doubts on the reliability of early voting and vote by mail. But what happens if you have a snowstorm on the day of an election? Well, then you have voters who may have participated that can't participate on election day. And so I think that will be part of the strategy, likely for both parties going forward. WNYC senior political correspondent Bridget Bergen and Newsday columnist and editorial board member Randy Marshall, thank you both so much. Thank Thanks, you. Brian.